Welcome to Documentary Diehards, the show where three sports fans break down one 30 for 30 documentary each and every episode. I'm Ren with Sam and Nick. Guys, how's it going? Good. Good. How are you? Good. How are you, Ren? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm running off a high of watching like 12 hours a day of golf the past four days. We're recording on a Monday. The PJ Championship just finished up. I'm, I mean, yes. it's just a lot of hard work that I've been through lately. <laughs> I've, I've honestly been looking forward all day to hearing what you have to say about it. So I think you should start Same. us off. Okay, I'll, I'll try to get, you know, be concise with my thoughts because I have several. But I mean, it was just a great Sunday. It was really it was the first major in 14 to 15, I think 15 months when usually there's one, you know, um, there's four a year and now you know, with all wow. the sports being affected. And then the great thing is there's going to be seven major championships in a span of a year because next year, supposedly, they're going to go back to the normal schedule of spring and early summer. And so, like, we're going to for a whole bunch, uh, which is nice. So the PGA Championship was in San Francisco. Um, Colin Morikawa won his first um, major championship, just 23 years old, just his third win ever. Um, he's just turned pro 14 months ago like he's I, I mean I think he's I don't know I, I'm getting like overwhelmed with how good he is how early <laughs> he's like I mean he has like the prettiest swing like on tour right now he's a lot of people are saying he's like the best iron player since Tiger like it's insane how well he's playing and how I mean he's been playing this well for a long time in college and, and now he's winning and um, where did he go to college he went to Cal Berkeley. He went okay. all four years. And I mean, he could have probably left after his like sophomore year because um, he won like a, a, a web.com or he got one to play off in a web.com in his sophomore year. So he could have went like dropped out and went pro and he could have probably been like a decent to very good player on tour for a while. So anyway, he, he won. He it, there was a huge pack of leaders tied at 10 for a while, like like with like nine holes to play and then he took like a lead by one and then on the 16th yesterday he hit like an insane um driver there's like a a short par four hit it to seven feet and then basically that was ridiculous yeah Yeah, i just saw that oh man that i mean it was like the shot of the tournament maybe the shot maybe the best shot of his career ever i mean like even at this young age it might still be once he's retired um, to seven feet, sank the eagle putt, went up by by two, and you know never looked back. Um, I don't know. He he has like a, a, a star kind of um, potential. Like he's super charismatic. He's um, so good, so young, and winning, which is like kind of a, a recipe for for being like a mega star in golf and. Kind of reminds me of like Jordan Spieth when he was like winning everything on a young age. Yeah, that's so. what I was just gonna say. I, I have two things. One, how clutch of a shot on 16 and like at 23 years old to hit that. Um, and then the second thing I was gonna say, I feel like this happens in golf like every couple of years. It's like like Jordan Spieth a few years ago was the next Tiger Woods, yeah. and Rory Rory McIlroy like six or seven years ago, however yeah. long it's been now, he was like can't miss. Like they're they're gonna go after Tiger and Jack Nicklaus and. Um, and I yeah, feel like and since Tiger, a lot of people have been craving like that next guy. And, and to a certain extent, Rory was, and then Jordan was for a while. Now he's fallen off, but, but yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, no one can ever really ever be Tiger, but there can be like a star that even like just average sports fans, non-golf fans, like want to tune in for, like that kind of was the case with, with Spieth definitely was for Rory. Yeah, um, Brooks Capco a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Even though yeah. He's, he's a little less like charismatic, and even though he's won four majors, which is insane, but he, like he's a little less. I, I feel like he just doesn't have the same intangibles in terms of like um, non-golf things. Obviously, he's he's you know a monster Hall of Famer already, but he's like he's a little older. He's he's not like super. I don't know, like popular with like the average sports fan but yeah i mean so it was as you can tell i was excited and it was it was super fun to i actually i've interviewed him i interviewed him in january this year he's super humble kid super smart and so easy to root for anyway that's my uh that's my pj championship recap 
that's awesome that you interviewed yeah, him. I didn't great. know that. Yeah, yeah. He has a when I was working in Hawaii, he had a he had a lot of family on Maui. Um, so he he grew up coming and visiting um, Maui like once a year or something with his family, extended period of time. So he had a lot of connections for the local media there. Where did sure. he grow up? It, L.A. Uh, L.A. Okay. Yeah, and, and then he went to there school for college and like nearby, um, you know, Berkeley. So yeah, he, he, he like had experience with that course uh, at the PGA Championship this past weekend, which was an added little storyline. Definitely. Yeah, and, and I think it's very underrated or something that I very much appreciated was the major tournament was in the Western time zone because yeah. I, could, I could get home from work and like on Thursday, I think I saw um, Phil Mickelson and uh, like other like big namers like just teeing off and I was like, all right, like I know what I'm doing for the rest of the night. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was great. So yeah, that was great. Even if I didn't pay attention on Saturday and Sunday as much as I wanted to. Yeah, I had someone text me and they were just like, why is it so late and they're just starting? I'm like, it's the West Coast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some not as great stuff for just general sports fandom is, is the football, college football kind of stuff happening. Um, what do you guys think about all the like seasons being canceled and stuff? Yeah, I mean, uh, not totally official yet, but it uh, seems like all but official at this point. Um, kind of the, I think the first conference I saw was the MAC uh, announced it yesterday, and then the Big Ten was, uh, or the, there were reports that the Big Ten uh, presidents were meeting, and, and apparently like the, the report that I saw were the all but two um, presidents, I believe, uh, voted for uh, canceling football in the fall. Um, the only two that didn't was uh, Nebraska and Iowa, so that shouldn't surprise anybody. Because what else <laughs> are you going to do in Nebraska and Iowa? Uh, <laughs> and apparently Scott Frost came out today, uh, uh, and he's a coach in Nebraska, and said that uh, they're going to try to look at you know teams that they can still play or something like that. I just it was like one quote, so um, I don't know. Maybe Nebraska um, high school football is uh, still still playing, so. Uh, they, they would be pretty uh, talent even uh, compared to Nebraska the last five years. So, oh, um, yeah, just just a little Nebraska shade being put here. Sorry, what a dig! Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I think uh, I heard on a podcast today that as of now, like 37 out of 50 states are going to allow high school football this season. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Was that uh, in the fall or? Um, Do you I, know if they like? I'm not sure. I don't think they clarified okay. that. But yeah, as of now, I think it was the fall. But because uh, Minnesota just uh, announced last week that it was, um, or that they're uh, pushing to the spring okay. volleyball, I believe. Yeah, bo- yeah, both those two big fall sports in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and then in... it's weird because the surround all the surrounding states in Minnesota are playing fo- high school football this fall, yeah. like Dakotas, Wisconsin, Iowa. And so that was part of the discussion. I think the board had MSHSL had of like, well, they're doing it. How are we not doing it? And just the things that go with that. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's I mean, it, the safe it, the safe route is what they're taking, which you can't really argue with that. Right. Yeah, One last you're not playing the players, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta be safe when they're not <laughs> professionals. Um, did you hear about, uh, sorry, running related thing, uh, Sam, did you hear about the, uh, cross country, um, uh, restrictions, I guess, for the high school this year in Minnesota? Uh, no, I didn't. So I haven't verified this, uh, fully, um, but I heard that, uh, cross country meets are like limited to three teams, I think. Oh yeah, I saw that. That's is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, wow. that, that sucks. <laughs> that really does suck. Uh, I've never done that. But what's the fewest amount of teams you've ever had a cross country meet in high school? Um, in college we had a dual meet, didn't we? Yeah, we had a dual meet, which was completely interesting. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Friday night there was like twenty people running in it and like ten fans. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but that was one of the more interesting. I'm not sure in high school. I probably um, had like a eight team one, I would say, in high school. So we never went to like any tiny ones, but Nick went to a smaller high school than I did. So maybe. I think we had one that was like four or five, maybe. And they ran it weird too, where they ran all of the teams, seven runners against each other. 
and then all the six runners against each other and five, you know, four, three, two, one. Oh. And so then you got to place within your, um, within your each race and then they tallied up scores that way. So it was kind of a really funky way of doing things, but it was kind of unique. Like, um, you know, like I was, uh, I was an eighth grader and I was the seventh runner on our varsity team. And, you know, it gave me like something to run for. More than that's just, cool. Like, it's that's like tennis tears in high school. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. So exactly like it. That's interesting. Maybe they'll do that with the, with the two or three team meets now, I guess. You'll be racing against two other people. <laughs> <laughs> Got a social distance. Yeah, so. Oh, yeah. All right. Should we, should we talk podcast or should we talk documentary? Documentary. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. I don't think I even mentioned what this documentary was called at the top. It's called Without Bias. Um, it's about a Len Bias, who was a college basketball player, turned um, just drafted into the NBA by the Boston Celtics. Um, two days after that, he OD'd uh, from co- cocaine, uh, passed away, and it kind of the documentary talks to really every single person involved, the people that were there that night with him, um, his all his family members, a whole bunch of uh, media members that closely followed him, his former teammates, his former head coaches, um, and it, it kind of just lays out. It's really straightforward. Like it lays out um, his uh, come up in high school, how good he was, his development in co- in college, uh, when he was one of the best players in the country, obviously, drafted number two overall. Um, and then, obviously, what happened. It's um, it, it's late. I mean, it's, it's really just kind of lays the facts out. And then it goes into a little bit about um, the drug, um, the war on drugs, kind of how it was, it was, uh, it, 1986 so it was kind of that reagan era reagan era during the war on drugs um and so it kind of goes into that the policies that happened um correlated or not um during that time directed by kirk frazier um produced in no originally aired in november of 2009 as same year all all of our uh, 30 for 30s that we have reviewed so far this is episode or our documentary number five that we're doing so far um so about len bias called without bias and uh what did you guys what was the first impressions um during and after you finished watching this movie all right so my first impression was just wow what a disgustingly good athlete len bias was um they kept calling him just a raw athlete and um, they were having, you know, really good interviews with like Michael Wilbon and uh, Kevin Blackstone and Bob Ryan and um, all of these sports experts that we grew up watching. And they were just raving about how good this kid was. Um, but it wasn't like a normal documentary where it was like really exciting and you're watching them throw down slams and everyone's like super excited about it. It was kind of like the somber, like, wow, he was so good. But you, you kind of understand that something bigger happened than him just being really good at basketball um and and so that was an interesting part at the beginning and then obviously his death and the impact it had on the war on drugs which by the way we have a fan question which we can get to later um but uh just remind me you guys (laughs) um but yeah it was it was really interesting i i didn't know the story so um, I, I'd heard the name before, but that's just about it. What about you, Nick? Yeah, uh, pretty depressing <laughs> uh, documentary uh, overall. I, I feel like, you know, it started off uh, somber, like you said. Um, started off like, man, why do we have to talk about this? And it was just like, what could have been? And, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the undertone throughout the whole thing. Um, I really liked all the... Uh, uh, people that they had um as far as interviews um being a basketball fan <clears throat> excuse me uh just uh between like john thompson uh starting off uh the the documentary um and then i feel like they got pretty much everybody on there uh from around the 
uh, from around the situation, whether it was his family, uh, the friends that he was with, uh, friends that were, you know, in the nearby area or just the, you know, the, I don't want to say casual observer because it was really the who's who of ESPN at that time, mm-hmm. or at least like um, maybe not at that time, but um, at the time of being it being made, I mean. Uh, and then they had like the Boston Celtics, uh, you know, representatives and, and like they had uh, uh, like Boston Globe uh, uh, writers and Dean Smith anyways. Even. Yeah. And Dean Smith was on there. <clears throat> so uh, they, I, I feel like uh, it was, you know, pretty well-rounded as far as uh, who they were all able to talk to. And it, and I felt like it was pieced together pretty well too, uh, for the most part uh, in the stories and in everything. It was just like so sad to see and, uh, or just to watch. And um, I don't know, you just left and you're like, man, <laughs> I need something to pick me up here. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking like, this is definitely the most depressing one we've reviewed so far. I was looking back and, and there've been some that have like, you know, I, you know, each story has its ups and downs, but this is definitely the, the biggest bummer to watch. But, but like you mm-hmm. said, like definitely one of the best parts of this film was all the interviews. I mean, even like they had all those big names, James Brown, Michael Wilbon, you mentioned a whole bunch, but even like the names you didn't recognize were maybe even better. Like the guy that was talking about the cocaine use, like he was maybe the guy that, was like providing it um that was kind of what was implied providing the drugs for the party um Mm -hmm. like he talked a ton and clearly he's you know um he has a certain point of view and you know you can't believe everything you hear but like his sound was super compelling and then his and then len bias's mom's sound is like just gold every time she said anything she obviously was super well spoken she's gone on to be a a public speaker, a motivational speaker who runs like organizations to help kids in, I think high schools uh, to, you know, uh, you know, against drugs, you know, peer pressure, things like that. Um, And, but she was like, every soundbite she had was like amazing, super interesting. Um, One of my not as positive like takeaways was just the, the framing of these interviews were really weird. Yeah. They were super (laughs) tight. Like they cut off like, most of their part of their head and a lot of their body and they're like from weird angles it's just an artistic choice that i didn't really you know like that much but I mean, obviously it was on purpose it wasn't you know uh you know just laziness but it, it wasn't my taste um, um sam you mentioned early on how like yeah it wasn't i always talk about this with documentaries uh, i feel like I, for every single one like attention getting and it definitely like it wasn't really that attention getting it wasn't super engaging no. right off the bat um i think that was the reason that was was they they had a whole bunch of interviews to start it off and they were all talking like in the past tense like they're like yeah, yeah he was really good and you know he was one of the, the best jump shots i've ever seen michael wilbon said which is um, insane saying something <laughs> for sure but yeah. like they were all talking in the past tense and i think that's why I was watching and I was like, okay, yeah, I, I know like what's going to happen, obviously, like what they're going to lay out, but it, it wasn't engaging enough. And I was like, I was like, oh, this might be just kind of a boring movie as they go. Obviously there'll be interesting points, but, and it definitely did pick up as the middle hit. I was, I forgot to take notes like for a middle, like a good chunk of the middle. So I think it, it, you know, got better as it went on. Did you guys kind of notice that just kind of how, what, what do you think of like the roller coaster or like the, I guess the route that it took up um, going up at least. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. I, um, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. And, and I think for um, if I wasn't such a big college basketball fan, I don't think I would have you know been as an enthralled in, in that part of the story as it was kind of building up there. Um, but you know, I was just trying to figure out like what era they were in and in that sort of thing within college basketball. Um, but it definitely didn't have like that, like, I don't know if it was like just miss missing really that, that point that just grabbed you, uh, yeah, and grabbed your attention. Factor. Yeah. Yeah. I, they I definitely wrote, went, yeah, with a somber route. So, right. Yeah. I wrote in my notes, I find myself wanting more excitement or hype in the beginning for like, about how good of a basketball player he was. Um, 
because I guess that's like the documentaries that I'm used to. I'm not used to like the tragic ones, I guess. Um, and, and so I totally agree with you, Ren. Um, and I guess, yeah, just like, if you guys want to just talk basketball for like a minute and then we can talk about like the aftermath and all that stuff too. But like, I, I did a little bit of research on, um, like the, the Celtics and stuff that he was about to join. Mm. Um, so they had won the title, um, in 1985 and then actually had the second overall pick and picked him. So he was about to go to like an awesome Celtics team, um, ton of excitement in Boston about getting this guy. They talked a, a ton about how, you know, he was the one that they'd wanted for the last three years. Um, and I looked up the roster. He was about to join Larry Bird, Bill Walton, Kevin McHale, Danny Ainge, um, Robert Parrish and Rick Carlisle. Like those are some yeah. pretty big names wow. in basketball. I did. I did the same thing, and I was like, "Oh, who's on that team?" And then uh, I was just, my jaw just dropped. Yeah, I was like, "Well, maybe they were all at the end of their careers." And you know, Bill Walden was probably the one most, uh, at least for my brief research, that he was like, yeah, I think two years away, and I think he was just a role player at that time. Um, but I mean, they were all still around for at least, you know, a couple. You know, at least yeah. like four years um, after that, usually. Right. Uh, so like they were, you know, it's not like there was a, um, like Larry Bird was, uh, you know, having a cane out there or something. I mean, he was still Larry Bird. So exactly. Yeah. And so he was just about to join like this awesome roster and be a big piece of it. And there was like so much excitement brewing about that. And then at the same time, there's this somber tone of, but it never happened because of this drug overdose, you know? And so, yeah. um, and then I guess going into the drug overdose a little bit, like, they really like you get to listen to the 911 call from the guy that Ren was just talking about, um, which is super, super powerful. And, um, you know, you hear from his dad who's talking about, I have this bad feeling. I had this bad feeling in my stomach the night before and they had met with Reebok that day and he just didn't feel right about something. And then this whole thing happened. So, um, yeah, just like, like you said, depressing, somber, um, and then this crazy story on top of it. Um, what did you guys think about like the story? And, you know, they talk about like him having a seizure and all that stuff. Um, what, what were your thoughts on it? I thought, uh, you know, I would, well, I guess I shouldn't say I would have loved to be <laughs> in the room at that point, but yeah. um, you know, that nine one one call, the guy was pretty, uh, he was pretty much like even keeled throughout that whole thing. And you would have expected, or at least I would expect him to be a little more, I mean, not saying there was fall play or anything, but it makes you wonder like what the timeline was it as tight as it seemed, uh, that they made it to be, um, when they were saying things, uh, you know, they, I think the nine one one call was like at six thirty in the morning or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. just, I mean, obviously terrible, and uh, no matter what happened, it was terrible. But um, I don't know. I didn't have you know too much other thoughts. I guess. What about you, Ron? Yeah, it it was. I feel like we got part of the story for that. Yeah. That mm-hmm. scene, like you know how later they talked about the the doctors or medical professionals were talking about how it was like the purest after the autopsy, it was like the purest form of cocaine. Um, they're yeah, one, no. like I don't even know, like one of the pure. I don't know, ninety-eight like, percent pure cocaine. They said, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was like, like, like what they claimed. I forget the guy's name, Tibble or something, who was his his friend that was supposedly supplying it. Claimed yep. that they were casual users, like they headed every once right. in a while, blah blah blah. Um, and then so the medical expert was like. Or or some other expert was like, yeah, this someone like doesn't have that pure form. If they're just casual users, like they must be dealing or or higher up on some sort of you know chain of command or something. So like there was a little inference that like there might have been something ickier going on. Mm-hmm. I didn't really go into it a ton, but yeah, it was like. And then it also, like, one of the autopsies said that there was no alcohol in his system. It was just the cocaine. But, like, he had been saying that they were drinking beer and and malt liquor along with the Coke. So it was, like, something doesn't exactly match up. But, like, I mean, uh, it could have been something not, you know, 
shady. It could have just been like lost in translation stuff. So who knows really? But yeah, it was just a the the nine one one call was like uh, definitely a really compelling um, thing and a really good get for the documentary crew to involve or include in the in the movie. Definitely, definitely. And I would say too, um, you know, just with all of that said, um, as as far as like the chaos that ensued afterwards I thought was very interesting and I did a little research on my own uh, that even the documentary didn't quite touch um, some of it but you know it it was like all these like teammates had to deal with like all the chaos that happened afterwards and it was like everybody freaking out and and like the university since it happened at the university um, you know was it a university issue or was it a professional issue uh, I found that to be a, like a really interesting thought because uh, that's something that I didn't you know think about before. Um, there was a rumor, I guess, uh, that had been proven untrue, but that the um, or since has, uh, but the Maryland coach uh, was, I guess, there was a rumor out there that he told uh, the other players to go clean out his locker from uh, or with drugs or or whatever was in there. Um, and so apparently that wasn't true, but you know, the fact that a rumor like that starts shows that like, there's just pure chaos and, and like whoever was trying or whoever was at fault was trying to, you know, save things uh, for themselves as much as possible. I feel like. Yeah, that's a really good point. And they didn't really tell us the timeline of when the head basketball coach at Maryland uh uh, resigned or was forced to resign yeah. but it was like in a uh, direct result of that people yeah. um thought some people i guess thought that he turned a blind eye to you know drug use in his program um who knows if that was the case or not and i kind of reminded and he me was of, established too yeah yeah he had yeah he was like a well-known well exactly successful and and like i think two days ago like um, remember Tyler Skaggs, uh, the fentanyl overdose yeah. pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels, um, and from very recently, like last year or the year before, and like an LA Angels employee was just charged in his in in connection with his death for, I, I believe, like providing a fentanyl or something like that. So, like that was a weird kind of tie-in with like the fallout that happens when something tragic like this happens, and and then also being in sports and. Yeah, it, it was there's it kind of a weird parallel there. Yeah, and another thing they didn't uh, really touch on in the documentary, but apparently they had an investigation online bias at Maryland um, after his death and it showed that he was like short on credits from graduation, uh, even though he had been there for four years. And so he should have theoretically been on track, but he was like 21 credits short. Um, and in his final semester, he didn't have any academic credits. <laughs> and so um, he he failed three classes and then withdrew from two others. That so sounds, That sounds more like today's NCAA than back then. Yeah, doesn't it? I was just going to say that. <laughs> That's like, you know. The uh, one and done system. Yeah, one and done. You take, you know, some classes that fall semester and then that's all you have to do. Um, yeah. Good, good research there. Huh. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, should we do our our viewer or listener question, Sam? Yes. Hold on. Let me get it. So yeah, um, you yes. can you can contact us. Um, we put out like a little call for questions be, uh, before we record um, on Instagram at doc diehards d o c d i e h a r d s. Um, just yeah, you can send us any question or anything you want us to talk about. All right. So we have a listener question from Alex. Um, and this talks about the aftermath of Len Bias's death. Um, what role do you think Len Bias's death played in the federal war on drugs? You guys have any thoughts on that? I, I have several thoughts. Nick, do you want to do you want to start? Sure, I can start. I um, admittedly didn't get to you know research this a whole lot. Um, just ran out of time, uh, so it'd be good that I start, and then you guys can give some actual uh, better <laughs> uh, follow up stuff. But it, it, I found it very interesting. Um, obviously, didn't know the timeline before all of this, uh, or before this documentary and everything. Uh, but how they passed uh, that law, and so. And then the, the fallout of the law. So, so the law that they passed, uh, so I'm getting this right, 
um, was designed to target drug um, or drug trafficking or drug um, related crimes, correct? Yeah. And then it and then it like ended up to be it got mostly the low level uh, dealers uh, in trouble. And mm-hmm. and when I say trouble, like outrageously so. Where I think it was it five grams of crack would send you to jail for five years. Yep, that was I think. it. And and, uh, and so then the uh, jails were being just run uh, or just in a massive influx of uh, African-American individuals or low income uh, in, in poverty areas um, as well. And um, I mean, I think that we can see, you know, still remnants of that today. Um, what do you guys have to add to that? Yeah, uh, I... I was just going to say to start, it is called the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986, just so Okay. you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was super interesting, the sound that, the uh, sound bites that they t- they um, used in the documentary about this topic. They kind of transitioned from the basketball and Len Bias for a minute, and they talked about all the drug use, especially specifically in Washington, D.C., where he was based and they they had even a tv reporter there that was like talking about how he used to use all the time and and the Mm -hmm. biggest um soundbite and most um one i've underlined here was from the former u.s council of house judiciary committee and his interview he was just talking about how he was directly involved with passing that that law that you guys mentioned where five grams of crack would put you away for way too long um and it was it was he he was like he said he felt so responsible because if you had priors then you could go away for life um and so many people um just for possession had priors um then that combo put them away for life and he was talking about all the families that he's of he's partially affected because he was involved in passing that and he obviously has major regrets about that because he said i'm just saying what he said which was that he um had bad info for that that number the five grams number um, and that like that was way too low an amount um, for possession of crack to put people away for what they were doing. The punishment was way too harsh. And and that kind of just filled up all the prisons. The prisons made a whole bunch of money. There's this documentary that I watched a couple of months ago called 13th. Um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, on Netflix. It's all about the prison system and the war on drugs. And it's it ties in directly to this. Um, it was talking about the Reagan administration and just kind of the um, how that all connects and intersects. And it's it's really interesting because, like, they were talking about they passed that law, not necessarily. I mean, I, I, they didn't say how connected it was to this specific um, case, but obviously this guy was one of the most famous athletes mm-hmm. in the world. Um, and then it happened after that. Um, so it, it didn't have zero effect, at least we can say that for sure. Um, so it was, yeah, it was just super thought provoking and kind of makes you want to look into it, all that kind of stuff a little bit more. Yeah, it was, I mean, that was, I thought that was one of the most interesting parts of the documentary. For sure. Um, it, it says that like Len Bias became the face of the anti-drug movement and it was like in um, 1986. So it was like uh, an election year and it was basically like a fight between Democrats and Republicans, it sounds like over like who could make the harsher punishment and, or crack down on the war on drugs. Cause that was like the popular topic in the news. And it, it just kind of like really made you connect to today's day and age where it seems like everything's a political issue. And um, mm-hmm. it, it, from what I read, it seems like it wasn't completely like thought out either. It was like a rush to see who could, you know, make these rules or these laws, like the harshest they could possibly be. Um, without really studying what the effects of it would be. And so like what Rudy was saying, it was a lot of, um, you know, people who weren't being like that. They weren't huge drug dealers or anything. Um, They might just be users themselves and they find themselves in prison for a decade or something. And that's probably not the right way of going about it. And it, um, so I I think, you know, Len Bias did play a big role, role in it as far as, you know, like what Ren just said, getting it to be like a, a topic a very um, prominent topic i guess in the news yeah and that's uh, both negative and positive and a lot of the other positive things that 
they had testimonials from athletes and other people at the end of the um, documentary to kind of give it an upward a uplifting ending was just all, like they someone mentioned all the athletes that were like not going to ever use coke because of that that we're definitely going to use it or we're already because of that huge star um tra tragically dying and then obviously the his mom and kind of all the impact she's had on young people and so there was like both positives and negatives and um and just i mean just kind of the ripple effect was so huge really Definitely. Um, you guys want to do the ratings? Yeah. Ren, you should start us off. Uh, I My number is 6.8 Terrapins because he we went to Maryland. 6.8 just because there were some things that, that you know, weren't perfect. Um, but overall, it was good. I, I, I guess I tend to land around there for a lot of these, it's seeming like. But I think... Um, the interviews, there was a ton of interviews. And with that many interviews, it's hard to piece it all together to make a super um, smooth story. And I think that happened every once in a while where they had so many good sound bites and so many good interviews that they, they crammed them all in. It was a little herky-jerky and bumpy, which was fine. I mean, ultimately... I really appreciated hearing most of the stuff that I heard in the, in the interviews, but that was kind of one of my big, um, you know, negatives, I guess. Um, the, like the slow star we talked about, but yeah, I mean like too many dissolves was another technical thing, like long dissolves in the transitions from <laughs> video to video, but that's just a personal taste <laughs> thing <laughs> I had, but, but um, it gets super good um, in the middle uh, the beginning and the end were, were less interesting, but like the middle when we talked about the war on drugs and when they talked about just the uh, that they painted the picture of the scene was super good documentary um, when they talked about the scene of the death. So, um, yeah, 6.8 is my rating. Rudy or Nick. We call we call Nick Rudy, so that's why I'm, <laughs> I don't want to confuse the listeners. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking we should clarify that. Uh, like a couple episodes ago, and then it's just so <laughs> second nature to me that I don't even <laughs> notice the difference. I didn't either. even think about that. <laughs> yeah, um, this one I would say. So I'm going to give it eight uh, teardrops because I feel so bad for a, well everybody, but especially uh, uh, the mom. The mom was, like, the best person uh, in this whole thing. I loved, like, every bit of her takes. Uh, she seemed like such a strong person um, to not only lose, you know, him, but then also his brother two years later, I think it was. And and then to... Oh, we forgot to yeah, talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, to be a motivational speaker. And I think the dad uh, also is a motivational speaker. Um not sure to what level, because uh, it seemed like Ren that you looked up a little more um, about her as a speaker. But I, I just thought mostly about her, but she has this big um, organization, and I'm sure he's involved. Yeah. yeah, it was like she went the anti-drug route, and then he went. Oh shoot! What did I see? It was like how the second son died. Oh, oh. was it? Yeah. He was murdered, yeah, so, wasn't he? Yeah. Right. One of the most, I forgot, one of the most crazy moments in the whole documentary was at the end when they talked about his brother, Jay, who got uh, gunned down, basically, just at a, got in a random altercation at a, in like in broad daylight and got shot and murdered. Um, and so they, he was a good basketball player in his own right. I think he went to Maryland too. And there was like, um, his father, the Mr. Bias was, meeting with the media or doing like a an interview and he he was talking about you know the situation and he accidentally said um len instead of jay yeah and then he just shook his head and it was just like one of the most awful yeah. moments where he accidentally said the other son that died yeah instead of the new the most recent son that's that died so like that was a heartbreaking heartbreaking moment and scene and yeah that was that's yes yeah. very powerful there i agree yeah. um 
Yeah, so I just really liked how in-depth, like, all the interviews were. Uh, little Rocky, you know, we're just piecing them all together. But, you know, I liked the um, the professionals, the family, uh, the, the teammates. Uh, just kind of, I feel like we got a very uh, thorough glimpse of, of most things uh, around this situation. So, yeah. How about you, Sam? All right. Um this was this was a tough one for me because I agree with um, both of you, I guess, and that I, I liked it. Um, Nick, I agree that I really liked all the interviews, but at the same time, I agree with Ren. I think they packed too many of them in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess it was just a little bit too like somber for me, and I know like that's kind of the point of yeah. this documentary. But uh, I guess I'm just I just prefer more upbeat and energetic um, ones. And so I, I'm going to give this one a 6.5 Shamrocks for the Boston Celtics, which he was drafted to. Um, couldn't really think of another one, so that's what I went with. But, uh, yeah, I think I think it was good overall. Um, it's, and I learned a lot, but um, just wish that, like, at the beginning, I was craving some more excitement and stuff and um, – I guess, yeah, that's where I stand on it. Do you think they were limited in their uh, film of him? Um, mm. Just because, you know, I know he went to four years of college, but I don't know at that time if they were broadcast that you know, much as a college sport or if it was... Yeah, that's very possible. Yeah. Or just the rights they might not have. Yeah, that, that's, that's what a I was good point too. About is, yeah. Like, who knows what they were able to to secure in terms of pictures and they did have like several like good pictures of like a bunch of the people that they were talking about including including the main character yeah. mm-hmm. um any last thoughts on this on this documentary before we move on to mount rushmore i think my last thought is our um how how did the celtics always get all these great picks even though they have good teams <laughs> like that's had the complete same bs <laughs> yeah they were really good recently and they and they got jason tatum like third overall yeah and yeah, yeah. I, I I was wondering how they got the second pick after winning the finals. I, I didn't really look it up, but I, I didn't take the opportunity to either. <laughs> Lucky the Irish. I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to Mount Rushmore. We could like to keep it on theme here, so we we had some kind of some back and forth on what to do for this one. We ended up on uh, Mount Rushmore of what if sports careers. So this can fall or. You know, your picks can fall into a lot of different tangents um, of this category. What if careers can be, I mean, you know, the Len Bias is certainly that, but it can be, you know, injury or whatever, uh, a career that that really wasn't what it was made up to be as it was getting going, I guess, is the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. Um it looks like Nick, you're going first because Sam has given me a list that I is kind of idiot proof. So Nick, <laughs> your uh, your first picking. Yeah. So just in researching this, I felt like there are so many different ways that I could go about. Um, this is probably a weird one. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the consensus number one. I'm not sure, but um, I'm gonna go Tiger Woods. Because mm-hmm. even um, though he's had obviously a tremendous career, um, it it his career with all of the conflicts and, and the time that he had to take off and and everything with that uh, just leaves me wondering what if uh, you know what if none of that would have happened and he would have just continued on his trajectory and how many majors would he have gotten? Um, you know, he would still be, uh, you know, like the top athlete. I mean, he still is in golf, but, you know, he was uh, a ta- top sports athlete um, at that time. I, do you guys remember when they did the ESPN, like, player of the decade? Or was it player of something? They had this huge bracket. and I'm not sure. Um, do you remember I the I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. But I think thought he won or at least he was one of the uh main guys um you know the final four or whatever but you know like that's that was his pinnacle um and and i don't know i would just love to see where he could have gone from there so a little different because uh he's obviously still had a great career but 
I like that pick. I never crossed my mind, but it's it's so true. Like, because I mean, there's the him and Jack Nicholas who has more majors mm-hmm. or who will finish with more majors. He was on pace to to beat to get 18, and now he he probably won't because he's still three or four four away. I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah, that's a really good choice. Um, I think I go second, and I this one was the one that like popped into my head immediately. Um, he was introduced to his city before he was drafted as he was the presumptive number one pick by just a picture of a rose on the billboard in Chicago. Oh. So mm-hmm. Derek Rose is my pick. Killer for um, Sam, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, I mean, he's a pretty obvious one, mm-hmm. an MVP. Um, youngest ever. T- youngest ever MVP tore his ACL and was really never the same again. Um, he was, uh, you know, and people, I'm sure tons of people were like, yeah, Hall of Fame bound after his like first couple seasons. Like he was a star, obviously one of the best, if not the best player in the league at that at a certain moment in time. Torres ACL has, has never been the same again. He's he's had a little come up. He played, he had a good couple seasons. He now plays for the Pistons. He's still active, still youngish, 31. But I mean, he was from wow, Chicago. Thirty-one. Went to go play for the Bulls. Yeah. Wow. Um, he, he was just an amazing story, and like, uh, just so, so easy at, when he was first. Um, like everything was going his way, right? He was amazing. Mm-hmm. Drafted by his home home city, first overall pick, MVP, and yeah. So what if he had not gotten hurt? He would probably be in that conversation of like, I mean, maybe what if he was in the conversation of the Kevin Durant's right now, you know, the best, the top, very top tier in the NBA. Yeah. And I think that's a very real possibility for him. And the the thing that's underrated too, is like the teams that he was on, those Bulls teams are really, really good. You know, Lou Aldang, Joakim Noah, coached by Tom Thibodeau. Like they had, they had things going for them. And yeah, that was very sad when he tore his ACL and then came back and tore his meniscus like the next year too. And, uh, Sad one. Um, all right, this one's sad too, but I am gonna go. Spo- I'm gonna go running nerd on you guys. Classic. And I'm gonna go Steve Prefontaine with my first pick. Um, R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah, some say the greatest American distance runner um, of all time. He really like started a running boom, I guess, in the U.S. Uh, he ran at Oregon. Uh, in the 1972 Olympics, he was 20 years old, and he he was really well known for like being really gutsy, and uh, took fourth place at the Munich at the Munich Games, and then was training for the 1976 Olympics. Had set an American record at every distance from 2,000 to 10,000 meters, and then tragically died in a car accident at 24 years old. Um, and the thing about American distance run- or thing about distance running is that like your prime isn't until like your late twenties, early thirties. So he wasn't even in his prime yet and he was just destroying everybody. Um, and so when I think of athletes, the, what if I, I always think of Steve Prefontaine. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's insane. I had never heard of that. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I think for, you know, running nerds like, like us, uh, or Sam and I, um, you know, I, I vividly remember watching uh, the movie Pre for the first time when I was like a seventh grader or eighth grader, and um, you know, on a, on a bus road trip to a cross country meet, and uh, yeah, it's a story like no other. So definitely, it it's exactly yeah. in this. Uh, wow. And I mean, like pe- people today still look up to him, um, mm-hmm. which is crazy because that was you know fifty years ago. So. Uh, he's my first pick. And then with my second pick, I'm going to go with Greg Oden. Um, I was oh. a, I was a big fan of Greg Oden um, mm-hmm. coming out in the draft. I think it was like, what, 08? Um, him and Durant were in the same draft, and it was a big debate whether you should um, take Greg Oden, who was looked at as like a more sure thing, the center, um, kind of like Baby Shaq, they were calling him, and then, um, or Durant, who was more of a project. Um, and then injuries just really derailed him. Like, uh, his knees were terrible and, um, he could just never stay on the court. But, uh, I think, I don't think the Blazers necessarily made like a terrible pick. It just, 
um, didn't work out because of injuries, mm-hmm. I think. So. Yeah, and you know, how the how the mighty fell too. I mean, I, you know, a lot of times these guys uh, leave or they don't work out, and then you know we we just you know we don't hear about them, and we kind of wonder where they're at and and what. But you know, I vividly remember uh, going to uh, Gophers basketball games uh, when I was a PT student. You know, five years ago only um, is or when I started PT school at least, and. Um, and he was a graduate student assistant uh, for Thad Mata and the Buckeyes. And so just wow. to see that, um, you know, he was the number one pick. He should have been, you know, multi, multi-million uh, dollar player by that point. Um, and, and still, you know, one of the top in the league. And he was sitting there, not even as a grad assistant, because he only went to one year of college, but, you know, just a student assistant. So um, can't help but, you know, your heart hurts for that guy, too. No kidding. Wow, especially, that's a good story. Especially when Durant's making hundreds of millions. Oh, yeah. Still has a ton of NBA career left, you know? Yeah, and he's making that off of a torn, uh, Achilles as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. All right, Ren, you're back on the clock. Okay, I uh, I guess I'll go with a pretty uh, – another pretty well-known one. Um Maybe a lot of people say one of the greatest athletes of all time, just because he played two sports. Uh, Bo Jackson mm-hmm. is is my next pick, um, just because he had the the. I mean, he was he was playing football, playing baseball, but his he had this insane hip injury in um, 1991. Um, it ended his football career. It, I'm reading this little entry in here, and it says he uh, he realized. He, he was injured as he was laying in the field on the field. He and he physically popped his hip right back in the socket, the socket, and doing that damaged the blood vessels um, in that area. And uh, it was just insane. Like people reference this injury all the time, but it's it, he was like one of the best athletes in ever. And then he, I think he did play baseball. Still go on to continue his baseball career after that, but his his football career was drastically cut short um so yeah bo jackson yeah he needed a hip replacement <laughs> i i don't know what age he was but um yeah that's just insane uh yeah so my pick um i'm gonna go with uh, ken griffey jr he was on pace for so many different records i didn't take the time to you know really look up stuff but i mean he was heralded as you know the gonna be um you know, better than Barry Bonds really is, is what I remember at least. Um, correct me if I'm wrong as far as home runs. Um, I thought he was like on pace for like 800 or something like that. Do you guys know by chance? I don't know, but yeah. I feel like I've heard the same exact thing. Yeah, yeah. So early on in his career for sure. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I just feel like he was, you know, always injured and um, still a cool player and everything, but uh, just in, the coolest the yeah. backward hat he's oh so yeah cool. <laughs> in batting practice and like everybody loved him still um yeah. but yeah just what could have been there so i'm gonna go football again uh kind of i guess a theme with my um uh, they're all great players still uh, but they could have been better uh and so i'm gonna go michael vick mm-hmm. and, and just yeah just having to take that time off or I shouldn't say it that way, but, you know, getting suspended and, and having to serve jail time. And, and, uh, you know, the cool thing, I guess, is just how he's turned his life around since then or how he's, um, you know, done his due diligence to try to rectify that as best as he can, at least. Um, I don't know if the Vic documentary, like, is that part of 30 for 30? I don't know if that's technically under the umbrella okay so yeah we'll, we'll get to that stay tuned in uh three years i think uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah just um yeah mike Vick. i can't believe i didn't think of that one i didn't even cross my mind is it my turn you're up i am gonna go with michelle Wee. um uh you know, one of the most heralded, like, young, maybe the most heralded young female golfers of all time. She qualified for 
I want to say the oh, man. I'm gonna mess this up. She qualified for a whole bunch of things when she was young. When she was very young, the youngest ever, uh, youngest winner of the U.S. Women's Amateur Public Links. She was the youngest player to qualify for a USJ Amateur Championship at age ten, which is insane. Um, she always was talked about as just having like the most beautiful. Um, smooth natural swing i guess we talked about this at the top with another pretty swing but like she had a like she was very tall had a unique uh uh like natural swing natural talent like she was just super talented um and she she turned pro um she turned pro really early she then went to college for four years so her pro career was kind of hampered by that she obviously couldn't compete collegiately um, and then she, um, she she was talked about as as potentially you know being one of the best of all time before her career even started. And two thousand seven, she had a major wrist injury that pretty much just put a stop to a lot of um, her. Um, didn't play again for a long time, and she's kind of battled wrist injuries ever since. She does have one major win. She has five total wins on the LPGA Tour. But um, she's 30 years old now, and, and she had to revamp her whole entire swing. So she has a completely different swing now. Um, and if you had told that to anyone following golf like twenty er, like 15 years ago, they would have not believed you. Um, because if she hadn't gotten hurt, she probably would have had, you know, how Hall of Fame career potentially is what people were saying. She's only 32. Or 30 as 30, well, yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's right, crazy. Yeah. Wow, another yeah. one. And she, she just had another like wrist injury last, like a year and a half ago that she was getting over for the past. Like, she, it took a while to get to recover. And now she just actually had a baby, so she's on the way back from okay. that. She still wants to compete, she says. Um but yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a big what if for me is like, what would have happened if she had just not gotten hurt yeah. multiple times and her swing had stayed as as awesome as it used to be. It's a good one. All right, I'm up. I am going to go Sean Taylor. Mm. My third mm. pick. Um, he was a awesome safety for the Redskins. Um, who was shot at 24 years old and, um, you know, he had just made a pro bowl. I think he was in his second year. Um, just seemed like someone who's going to go on to be a hall of fame NFL player. Um, you know, being compared to like Ed Reed and Brian Dawkins and guys like that. Um, and so the fact that we never got to see him in his prime is a crime, um, and a major what if career for sure for me. For sure, twenty four years old. That's crazy. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's basically oh. like what Jamal Adams is right now. It'd be like if Jamal Adams was shot right now. You know, like what could have been. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and then my fourth, I'm gonna go with another center here. I'm gonna go Yao Ming. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yao Ming. Everyone knows Yao Ming. Um, very influential, an icon in the NBA. Um seven foot six but had a ton of foot issues and that that forced him to retire i believe at 30 years old and so um you know without that foot injury he probably has probably at least five more good years left in him and um yeah i just i really liked how he played he was always really fun to watch and i think he just like brewed a lot of excitement about the nba especially in china and so the -hmm. fact that that was cut short is also sad yeah i remember loving him just because he's Asian and he was in the NBA and he was like the tallest player in the NBA. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is, this is Mm -hmm. awesome. Um, Yeah. That's, I didn't realize that he retired so early actually. Yep. Um, My last pick, my turn, right. I'm going to go, I'm going to try to get us out of this depressing mood right now. And I'm going to go a little different reason for what if my pick is Kyler Murray. Um, what if he had played baseball <laughs> instead of going to the NFL? Bo Jackson obviously played both. So it's a little tie in there, but T- Kyler Murray is entering his second year in the NFL. He was draft. He was the only player ever drafted first in the first round 
in both in two different sports into the MLB and into the NFL. And he was drafted into the MLB first by several months before his college football, his last college football season. And he won the Heisman, obviously. And he was basically all reports. Everyone in the know was saying, yeah, he's going to play baseball. It's the smarter choice. He's, he's going to potentially have a great se- uh, career at baseball. There's way fewer injury risks, blah, blah, blah. And then he didn't after he, was drafted number one or I guess he probably made he made the decision before he was drafted number one overall um in, in the NFL but what if he had played baseball like he was a middle infielder shortstop second baseman undersized but obviously a great athlete I mean it would be I mean who knows like if something happens and he tries to pull a Tebow and switch careers after this one doesn't work out but it's looking like it's gonna work out in football so I feel like what if he had played a different sport that he really, I think, had decided to play baseball and then changed his mind. Thank you for getting us out of that depressing state for a while. <laughs> I think everyone on my list. Just think about how fun it is to watch Kyler Murray. That can, that can make <laughs> it kind of fits in with the whole documentary, though. So. Yeah, I know. Uh, All right, last, last pick. pick to bring us back down. Uh <laughs> <laughs> There, I don't even know where to go. Um, let's see. I'm gonna go with kind of the theme of my people here, right? Like good careers. We won't we won't completely kill the mood here. Um, I'm gonna go way back though, so we're gonna go Ted Williams. So I was looking into the career of Ted Williams, and apparently he had to serve uh, in the military during World War II for three years in the middle of the prime of his career. And wow. I just find that fascinating. And, and that I think right around when he hit 400 too, probably. Yeah. And then he, um, he's the one that like they froze his head, right? Yes. So yep. maybe, so maybe, uh, you know, in the future, uh, he'll get that three years back, but until then. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I want to give an honorable mention to uh, Kimbo Slice. Does anybody else remember Kimbo Slice? The fighter, yes. UFC guy. Yeah. If, do, if only I... he had came around, or if only UFC got big, like, five or ten years sooner, he would have been in the prime. And then he tragically died uh, early, too. But that's oh, my man. honorable mention. Yeah. I had a, a list that was, like, everyone I looked at just kind of made me sad as I looked at I know. <laughs> <laughs> that the Ted Williams pick made me think of Luke Gehrig, yeah. Luke Gehrig's disease. Uh, you know, he considers himself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Like that speech after he yeah. did baseball early. I, that's, I guess, another honorable mention. I completely didn't think. Yeah, I that. thought about doing that, uh, but he was kind of at the tail end of his career um, when that yeah. guy died, no, diagnosed. So that was kind of like, yeah, a deciding factor, I guess, for me. But, anyways, that's fair. All right, Sam, bring us out of this. What's your What's your uh, documentary wish list? All right, you guys. So I'm in a basketball mindset right now. I've been watching some NBA, and I was looking up ESPN 30 for 30s, and I don't know if you guys have seen this one, but um, Bad Boys is uh, is episode 61. Mm-hmm. It's about the uh, late 80s and early 90s Detroit Pistons, who were the, like the Michael Jordan stoppers, you know, the people with the Jordan rules and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I started thinking – I feel like a Detroit Pistons team that we've seen in our lifetimes were also could call themselves the bad boys and uh, we're a really cool team. And so I'm going with uh, bad boys 2.0 and it's about the 2003 and 2004 Detroit Pistons. When I think of like basketball teams um, or just teams in general, one of the most complete teams that I ever remember seeing in my lifetime was that team. Um, you know, the team, it had Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, Tayshaun Prince, Rasheed Wallace, and Ben Wallace, and that was the starting five. Um, and the crazy thing is, again, like uh, the Celtics, they had the number two overall pick before that year started. And uh, it was in, the, like, the best uh, draft, the 2003 NBA draft, probably the best NBA draft ever. Um, and they completely missed, and they picked Darko Milicek second overall and passed on Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and – um, Carmelo Anthony um, and so 
there was that aspect of things. So this documentary would take place over the course of the year. Um, it would start with uh, the Darko Milicek draft pick, and then um, they acquire Rasheed Wallace halfway through the year. Rasheed Wallace is like one of the craziest NBA players in history. He, he has the record for most technical <laughs> fouls in a season with 41. <laughs> Holy. That's, that's one every two games. They like created a rule basically because of him that now you get suspended if you get over like 16. <laughs> and so. And yeah. they still had the rule where if you got two, you got kicked out of the game, right? Like that's, yeah. I, I, to my knowledge, that's always been a rule. I believe so, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't Draymond flirting with that rule a couple years ago? He got ago? suspended, like, yeah. Suspended? Yeah, he got okay. suspended in the finals for uh, hitting LeBron in the crotch. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. Oh, he's such a good dude, isn't Allegedly, he? yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they acquire Rashid, who's a character, which would be really fun in the documentary to watch. Ben Wallace, who's like one of the coolest NBA players in our lifetime, probably, because he was like the ultimate hard-nosed defender and rebounder he was like a terrible offensive player and a terrible free throw shooter but he had a huge afro and was like a defensive player of the year um awesome player and then you also have like rip hamilton who is famous for his face mask and he started wearing that face mask in that season because he is he got his nose broken twice so that <laughs> happened during that season and then also you have like chauncey billups who is probably ends up being the best player on that team one of the best leaders um, and ends up winning the finals MVP. So you have all those awesome players, all those awesome storylines. Um, and I just think it would be a really interesting documentary. They go on and they beat, um, you know, Jason Kidd's Nets. Um, and then they beat Shaq, Kobe, Carl Malone, and Gary Payton in the finals in five games. So, like, what a year. Dang. Wow. Yeah. So that's my I like that team. I would, I would definitely watch that. That's a good choice. Yeah. We'll have to get that made. All right, Nick, uh, let's preview what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, what documentary will we? Yeah, do? so the next one is The Legend of Jimmy the Greek. So um, I think all three of us are unfamiliar um, of this guy. Um, but basically, in summary, uh, what it sounds like, it's a, it's a guy that um, had a uh, – or he was on the CBS. The NFL Today was his show. And he basically blended um, uh, like sports, uh, sports handicapping, uh, gambling, uh, kind of everything like that uh, with his analysis, predictions, humor, and talent that kind of got him to be this uh, uh, big figure, I guess. So, um, yeah, and then he must have had a tragic downfall. So we got, a, we got that to look forward to. Um, but hopefully there's some more ups in uh, this next one. Um, but yeah, it sounds pretty interesting uh, just how he kind of built this career. Um, just briefly looking at it kind of reminds me of like a fantasy football type thing just with sports uh, gambling instead, you know, like Matthew Berry building this brand and uh, that sort of thing. But we'll, we'll uh, stay tuned and figure out next week. Very interesting. Yeah, sounds like he would have liked DraftKings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Um, uh, make sure you guys subscribe to us and follow us on Instagram at DocDieHards. Guys, anything else before we head out? No, hit us up with some listener questions. We got one, thanks to Alex, but we're looking for many more, so hit us up. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, we love questions. We love answering questions more than questions, so bring them on. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Awesome. Have a good week, everybody. See ya.